0: Have your Bible, you can open up, actually, you can be in Acts chapter 14, go back just a little bit, and the book of Galatians. So during this series, um, we wanted to take some detours to the letters that were written during the time. So we, we read about these things happening in Acts, and these are real historical things that are happening. And so when when the, the New Testament is written, these letters that are written, they are written to these churches and to these people that we read about in Acts, And so we thought it would be good to take some, um, take some detours and say, okay, well, they're talking to these churches and now here's the letter that was written. And we're going to do that this morning with the book of Galatians. Now, this is special um, in many ways, but one of the ways is that this is the first book that I preached through when I came here to this church seven years ago. And when I did that, um, it took months to preach through Galatians. And this morning we're doing it in one sermon. And when I told my wife that we were doing this, her quote was, oh no. So I'm going to do it. We can, we can handle this. But I think this is good. We want to give kind of an overview of it. Sometimes when we read scripture, we, we, it's good to go verse by verse. It's good to kind of dig into what some of these words mean and kind of dissect it, but it's also important and critical that we read it as a broad overview so that we know the point of the whole thing and we can kind of understand it better. And so we're going we're gonna to go. We're going to jump into this right now. This Galatians is the first letter we think that was written by Paul. And it was written, um, there's different views of when it was written um, and, and kind of to, but it was written definitely about and to the churches that we read about in Acts chapters 13 and 14. So the second half of chapter 13 and all of chapter 14 are taking place in Galatia. And in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas, so if you remember, we talked about this several weeks ago, Paul and Barnabas leave Antioch of Syria and set sail, eventually making their way to Antioch of Pisidia. So I know it's confusing, but there are two Antiochs. All right? So there's Antioch of Syria, which is where people were first called, followers of Jesus were first called Christians. And then there is Antioch of Pisidia that, um, that we are talking about here, that is in Galatia. And so when Paul and, and Barnabas get there, we see this pattern. As they go from city to city, a pattern emerges. In Antioch of Pisidia, Paul preaches and performs miracles. People believe, many people believe, but there are religious leaders who who stir up persecution against them and division. And so they move on to Iconium. And on Iconium, they preach the gospel. Some believe and then there are others who stir up persecution and division and, and, the, and people are divided. Some believe the apostles, some believe them. In um, chapter 14, 1 and 2, it says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So what happens at Antioch, it happens at Iconium. Now in Lystra, in Lystra they heal a man. And they preach the gospel. And many people believe. But those who did not believe, those who stirred up persecution, actually drag Paul out. And that is where he is stoned. And they leave him for dead. But Paul gets up. And he goes to Derby. And in Derby, he preaches the gospel where many believe. And then he returns back to all of those cities. He returns back to Lystra where he is stoned. Back to Iconium. Back to Antioch of Pisidia to strengthen and to encourage those churches. And eventually they return to Antioch of Syria. But while they're there, the same thing happens to them there. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And you have to imagine that Paul at this point, when he's returned to Antioch of Syria, that he's just had it. He has been going through the countryside, preaching the gospel, seeing people saved, seeing people transformed. And everywhere he goes, people follow. And they speak against them, and they discourage the believers, and they confuse them, and they poison their minds against the beautiful good news of the gospel. And the main issue at hand is the law. As he's going around, what's, what's happening there, is if, if you have to remember that for thousands of years, a faithful Jew, what it meant to be a faithful Jew was to keep God's law. And now Paul and others, the apostles, are proclaiming that Jesus has kept the law for us, that Jesus has fulfilled the law, and that our, our responsibility now to be faithful is just that we need to have faith in his work, his faith in his work on the cross to be justified, that that's what justifies us, is our faith in the work that Jesus Christ has done. The gospel was this beautiful news that the burden of keeping the law has been lifted, that Jesus has done that for us. He has set us free. But these new disciples are being confused by those who would say that the work of Jesus is not enough. You, still all, you also must still follow the law as you always did. And this laid a heavy, soul-crushing burden on those who had been set free. And it discounted and nullified the work of Jesus on the cross. And Paul sees this and is frustrated and is grieving and is concerned for his brothers and sisters that he has left. And he sits down and he writes this letter to them to refute those who would cause confusion and division, and to encourage the saints to place their whole trust in Jesus. And so my aim here is to give a broad overview of the book of Galatians. I can't touch on anything. I'm not going to, but the the broad overview of Galatians, but then to see how relevant this letter is to us today at Faith Church in Peshtigo, Wisconsin, and in the evangelical church today in our country. When Paul starts his letter here in Galatians, he dives right in. He doesn't actually give any nice intro. I think it's largely because I think this is the first letter that he wrote. But it's also you can feel his passion throughout this letter. So keep in mind the backdrop of everything he has been through. And he starts out and he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, he goes on to say that, that not that there is another one, but he's, what he's doing is setting the stage and saying, why would you leave the gospel of grace for a false gospel of works? He's going to be setting the stage that people are accusing him and saying, well, this Paul says you just have to have faith in Jesus, but we all know you also have to obey all the law to be declared righteous, to be justified before God. And Paul is looking at it and saying, Why? Why would you want to leave this beautiful gospel of grace that was given to you? Why would you want to leave that and return to the slavery of keeping the law and the burden of keeping the law? So he says, I'm astonished. How are you so quickly deserting this? And not only deserting this gospel, but he says, deserting him. So you will see this this other parallel that happens is that Paul is always pointing to him, whereas the Judaizers and people who would try to, to, to um, confuse the issue are going to point to the law. So Paul points to God. They will point to the law. A person versus a thing. And so Paul is going to kind of lay it out. He, he does some work here to legitimize himself as an apostle. And his aim in that is not to legitimize himself so much, but the message that he preaches. He says, like in um, verses 11 and 12, for I, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is one of the things he's separating these two messages. He says, this gospel I preached to you, I got from Jesus. We all got this from Jesus He goes on to say it was confirmed by all the apostles. He even talks about how he confronted Peter when he wasn't walking in line with the truth that he was proclaiming. And so he said this message comes from Jesus. This gospel, this false gospel that they are proclaiming to you and confusing you with and discouraging you with is man-made. It's man-made interpretations of the law and how to keep the Sabbath and how to worship God and how to honor your mother and father. And it's all these man-made kind of figuring out rules and and laws and, and principles to live by. He's saying, so this gospel he preaches is from Jesus. And he wants to clarify the gospel that it is only through faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved. And one of the things that he's going to to do to to demonstrate the truth of this and why they should trust him is is what he says in in Galatians 2, uh, 15 and 16. He says, "'We ourselves are Jews by birth "'and not Gentile sinners. "'Yet we know that a person is not justified "'by works of the law, "'but through faith in Jesus Christ. "'So we also have believed in Christ Jesus "'in order to be justified by faith in Christ "'and not by works of the law.'" Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Here's why this is important that Paul is saying this. He's saying, he's pleading to the churches in Galatia, hey look, no one has more to gain from making you obey the law than we do. We've been keeping the law our whole lives. And now we're preaching this gospel, which guess what Gentiles? This puts you on equal footing with us. Why in the world would we preach a gospel that lowers us and lowers our status if it wasn't true and wasn't beautiful and wasn't better? It's always something that we need to understand that when someone's preaching something, like, what, what do they gain from it? And Paul is saying, like, look, we, we are saying, we've laid all this down. That his faith in Jesus not works of the law. No one will be justified by works of the law. And that's what leads up to Paul saying the famous verse that I take and others take. And we put it on everything and because it's beautiful. But it's this ramping up of him pleading with them to believe this gospel. That he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's saying, I put to death all of my work's righteousness. Like my flesh is gone. Like I now live by faith in Jesus, his work. His work is what justifies me and justifies you. And then he says this in verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He's saying, look, if we could be justified in any other way, then why did Jesus die? I remember ministering to students years ago, and there was a a group um, of people in our church who got to this place where they said, look, I believe that Jesus died for me and forgave me for my sins, and I believe that I am saved because of Jesus Christ. I just don't think I have any place to tell anyone else that that's how they need to be made right with God. And it sounds like loving, right? Like it sounds open-minded. It sounds like, you know, hey, look, this is my testimony. Jesus died for me. But like if you have a different way of getting there, like so be it. And this is what Paul says to this. If there is another way, why would Jesus die? The most horrific event in human history. Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, submits himself to the creation, is rejected and is beaten and is mocked and is murdered in the most horrendous way you could possibly imagine. If there was another way, don't you think God would have chosen that? He said, then Christ, if you nullify the work of grace, if you would put your hope in your works, then you are saying Christ died for no purpose. Or was it just for people who were too lazy to keep the law? People who weren't quite good enough to keep the law. Jesus just died for the people who didn't have the time to study for the test. No. Paul's saying there's no other way. It's faith in Christ. That's it. Now there are some who agreed with that. There are some who believed, yes, 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 saved by Jesus. And I think this probably represents most of the people who are in the church, who are believers, who had come to Christ, who received the Holy Spirit. But where they're really being poisoned now is they're saying, yes, we're saved by faith. But now we are perfected through obedience to the law. Now, this, this is very common in our culture. We're, no, 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 I believe we're saved by faith. Absolutely. I pray to prayer, saved by faith. Now my job is to obey the law. Now my job is just to you know, do the best I can to live according to God's principles and morals that he lays out in his word. That's my job. And so Jesus saves us and gets us into heaven, but then we take it from here, and now it's our work. And Paul refutes that passionately in chapter three starting in verse one he says oh foolish Galatians who has bewitched you it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified let me ask you only this did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith are you so foolish having begun by the spirit are you now being perfected by the flesh it's a simple question Let me ask you only this, when you received the Spirit, and all the people in the church would say, yes, we've received the Spirit, when you did, was that because you had done enough good works and qualified to receive the Spirit, or did you hear the good news and receive the Spirit? Was it hearing in faith, or was it by doing enough that God looked at you and said, okay, you've proven now that you want me enough, that you love me enough, now I will give you the gift of my Spirit. Many people today live like they have this contract with God. That, yes, he saves me. And then I, it's my responsibility then to do good works. And that leads to where they kind of think that the gospel, that Jesus, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ is like Christianity 101. I've, I've been accused before of just like, will you just stay in beginner Christianity? And I'm like, I don't know anything else other than the gospel. You show me something else than the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for all things, then that's news to me. But we get this idea that like, well, that's just the beginning part. And then the rest of it is I have to learn the law of God so that I can keep it. And so that's like when Paul's talking about meat, he's talking about that. Like all the, the really heavy, like obedient stuff to the law. It's dangerous, and here's why. Paul says that that line of thinking makes you a prisoner, makes you a slave. Look what he says in in Galatians 3.23, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So what he's refuting against is people saying like, okay, yeah, great. Jesus saves you, but now you have to keep the whole law. And Paul is saying, look, that's before faith came. And when that happened, we were held captive under the law. We were imprisoned until we were set free. And Paul is saying, look, if you, if you do that, if you put your trust, not only does Christ die like, for no reason, for no purpose, but you're also giving up your status You're living like a worker or a slave. But he says, you are not a slave. You're a son. And we've unpacked that before. If you're new to all of this, just understand when we say son, we're not talking about male or female. We're talking about that in that time, the firstborn son got to be the, they inherited everything. So what Paul is saying here is whether you're male or female, whether you are the, the baby of the family, which means you're obviously the best, or you're the, the oldest in the family, um, whatever your status is, whoever you're born to, whatever order you're born into, if you're male or female, or Greek or Jew or any of those things, he's saying that in Christ, you are all firstborn sons. You are all inherit you get to inherit everything. That's what he's saying here. And he's saying, that's what Christ gives you, and you want to become a slave instead. You want to go back to being a slave when he has made you a son. And he says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is amazing news. He's talking about this relationship. He said, you are not in a contract with God. You are adopted by God. And he says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. We all have a testimony of that. Before you knew God, enslaved to those that by nature are not gods, false gods, idols, things that leave us empty, but now that you have come to know God, and I love this, or rather to be known by God, how great is that? Even there, he's saying like, now that you come to know God, hey, by the way, that wasn't your work that got to know God, that God has known you. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Why would, you, why would you do that? Why would you go back to that when you've been adopted as sons and heirs and you've been given this gift? Why would you want to return to be slaves? Let me ask you, do you, do you tend to, when you think of God and you think about going through your day and you think about what does it look like to obey him, do you think of God as a slave master or a kind of unwavering boss who is constantly disappointed with your performance, who's always looking at you with this kind of like, oh, all right, come on, try, we'll try again, try again. And where you're just looking at him and saying, I can do better, I can do better, don't fire me, don't cast me out, I'll do better. Or do you look at him as a good father who delights in you and wants you to receive every good gift that he has for you and that in obedience to him you receive you receive these blessings and these gifts that he joyfully pours out mercy upon mercy blessing upon blessing heaping it out over and over again and delights in you. I think all of us struggle with that. I don't know that I've ever known somebody who doesn't struggle with that. That's why it's so relevant. That we picture God and we treat it and we we interact with him as though we are slaves. And Paul's saying, why? Christ has already fulfilled the law for you. He has given you this. Your blessing, your obedience comes through faith and trusting in his work for you. He delights in you. Why would you want to trade that and go back to this? Okay, but now I I need to do this I need to do this. And and if I'm going to go back and and I fell like this, so now I need to prove to God that I can overcome this. And then I'll go back and I'll talk to him once I've proven to God that I can overcome this sin. And we act as slaves. But we are not slaves. We're sons. And living by faith is living in freedom as sons. And the false gospel that's being proclaimed to the churches in Galatia is a return to living as slaves under the law. Paul says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't buy into works righteousness. Don't fall back into that. Don't let shame and guilt. Have you ever had a situation where you started like a Bible reading plan and you're like, all right, I'm getting after it. I'm going to get into the word. I know I need to be in the word, so I'm going to get into the word. And you start and day one, you are up. The birds are singing. You've made coffee. You're sitting there. just Oh, just love. It's so good. Day two, you're like, oh, yeah, that was, that was really good yesterday. Like, no, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Day three, just snooze bar. Done. And what happens on day four? If day four is characterized by guilt and shame that you couldn't do that three straight days, then you are living as a slave. If day four is seeing your father who delights in you and saying, come come on, be with me. then you're living as a son. You're set free. And notice his language. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Saying you're under a yoke of slavery with the law, but there's a different yoke, right? Christ has given a different yoke. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That new yoke is a yoke of faith. It's the yoke that says, come and partake. Do not be weighed down by guilt or shame. Jesus has already paid for that. He's already fulfilled all of this for you. You get to partake in the blessing And that's why, as they're telling him, you know you have to obey the law and you have to be circumcised specifically. He says, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. So an example would just be coming to church. Being here together as a church. Living as a slave under the law is motivated by things like, well, I know I should be in church. I feel really badly. I haven't been in church. I know know it's important. I know I should be there. You go a few weeks in a row, and then one morning you just, you're just having a day and you just stop. And then the next week you're like, oh, I feel really guilty. I probably, I should probably get back there. It's kind of to fulfill your end of the bargain. It's a duty. And when that is the case, it is sin and it is worthless. But when it is in faith, as sons, then it is believing that when. God says it's better to be together that we believe him. And even though there's part of us that struggles with that, like in faith, we go. In faith, we, we, we get up. In faith, we, we take a shower or we don't take a shower and we just go in faith, we just go we knowing it's going to be better to, together. In faith, we believe that God will give us blessings. That he's not going to withhold from us. Like when you get here and it says, well, it's been three weeks since you've been here, so I'm going to make you wait until like 30 minutes into the service, and then I'll give you blessings. He meets you at the door with blessing upon blessing upon blessing. That is what it looks like to live by faith. A life ruled by the law is filled with guilt and shame and should-haves and ought-tos and I wish I would-haves. But a life filled with faith is about heart, about want-to, and about believing that what Jesus says is better. And freedom is to live by faith and slavery is to live according to the law. And this false gospel that Paul is railing against is alive and well In the evangelical church today and I want to give you an example of it. I've already shown a few examples of us personally but this is where it's coming up and I have to be careful and I need you to listen to me well. (laughs) Okay if you are confused by anything please ask me a question but I but but I have to say this because it's so critical. One of the great false gospels that we have in the evangelical church today in America is idolatry of the Bible. You might want me to explain. It comes out in this little phrase, and it's a phrase I've used many times. So I just want you to, to, to hear me on this. It's a little phrase that, that I have used many times my whole life, and I have become increasingly uncomfortable with it, and it's this, that we obey his word. Let me give you an example of what I mean by this. If I write a note to my kids... I'm leaving I get up early in the morning and I leave and I, I head to work and they're still asleep. If I write a note to my kids and I say hey I, I want you to clean the kitchen while I'm gone and let's say that they, they do that would they say I obeyed your note or would they say I obeyed my father now the note is from me They gave the instructions that I had for them, but their obedience, what matters, the obedience that matters is their obedience to their father, not to the note. And it's a critical distinction. We talk about obeying the Bible in such a way that I think the enemy has used that. And there were times where that was a good phrase to use because it distinguished from people who just said, well, I obey God and and, and that's just whatever I think about and whatever I think God should do. And so people said rightly, no, no, God has already revealed himself through scripture that we can trust. And so then it kind of came this way. Well, Satan is really good at this. When we're pushing this way, he's happy to push you in the other ditch. He doesn't care which ditch you fall into. And I think this is a ditch that has fall, we've fallen into because what happens is like, okay, well pretty soon it's all about me obeying this and all of a sudden I forget I'm actually obeying my father. And there's a distancing and a depersonalization of it. And all of a sudden now I'm left to translating principles and 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 morals and and uh, just ideas about scripture in my own mind and then i'm creating this law and so we create this new law that we become a slave to and we make everybody else a slave to it now the key to this obviously is that we are to obey jesus In the Bible, we have God's words. Reading the Bible is how we learn to discern the voice of the Spirit. Because in the Bible, we get to see how does God talk to his people? What does he sound like? What does he do? How does he interact? And we learn that. And so we learn when it is the voice of the Holy Spirit and not our own ideas. His word is trustworthy. It is true. It is inerrant. But as I have said and will continue to say, though God's word is inerrant, my interpretation is not. And there's a humility that has to come with that, that we are dependent on the Holy Spirit who is our interpreter and our teacher. Right? We need the Holy Spirit to understand how we are to obey him. People get nervous when we talk about that and I think, should it make You less nervous if I tell you I don't listen to the Holy Spirit, that I am my own teacher of God's word? Right? That's worse. Way, way worse. Or I don't understand scripture, so I listen to this particular Bible teacher, and that particular Bible teacher is better than the Holy Spirit? Yikes. So if I say I obey God's word, then that can easily go into the realm of saying, I obey the law. I'm not trying to start a movement, by the way. Like, if you say, like, hey, I just am trying to obey God's word. I'm not going to be like, idolater! Get out! But I do think it's worth a follow-up question of what do you mean by that? I'll give you an example of that here in a second. But the the law-abiding part is interesting. Now, in society, it makes sense that we are law-abiding. We obey the law. It would be weird if we said, I obey the police, right? We don't use those terms, right? Like in a specific situation, maybe, but like overall, I don't say like my mission in society is to obey the police. No, we say we're law abiding. Like we want to be law abiding citizens, but that's because police are not inerrant. They're not perfect. The law is better than the police. That's why we say things like, no one's above the law, right? Because in our society, the law is the best thing that we have but that's not the way it is with God. He is above the law. He is the creator of the law. The law exists because it is a reflection of his character and nature, not the other way around. So when we obey, we obey God. We obey Jesus. We obey the Holy Spirit. And a huge part of how we know we're actually obeying him is because of the Bible. I was talking to a person one time who is in sin. And I asked them, what what does obedience look like in your situation right now? And their response was, I know what God's word says, and I should do that. And I asked, what does Jesus say? What is he asking you to do? And I got a blank stare. No idea how to respond to that. Listen, we serve a living king. He is alive. And I am convinced that much of the division we have in the church we fixed, if we all remember, we have a living king. If you just look at the world through the lens of the Bible, then you can justify just about anything you want. Don't forget that Satan is very good at using Scripture. If you look through that lens, you can justify all kinds of things. You can justify that Facebook rant that you went on because it was full of Scripture. But if it's through the lens of Jesus revealed in Scripture, then things change. Like, imagine, again, I leave my kids at home and I gave the instruction I want the dishwasher unloaded. But one of them gets hurt. And the other doesn't help. And I come home to like a bleeding child on the ground and the other one just sitting on the couch. And what if their defense, when I'm saying like, what's wrong? Why are you not helping your sister? And his defense is, well, you told me to unload the dishwasher. So I had to obey your note. Like, would I be pleased with that? No, the answer is no. I would not be (laughs) pleased with that. Now, if he had called me, now imagine this, if he had called me and said, hey, my sister's hurt and bleeding, but you said to unload the dishwasher, what should I do? I'd say, help your sister. But if he doesn't call, if he doesn't listen, if he doesn't seek my voice, and he just focuses on the note and his understanding of that note, he dishonors me and does not love his sister. He uses the note from me to dishonor me. That is idolatry of the Bible. Do not make the Bible your God. You have a God. Obey him. This is why Jesus says you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. This is why living by biblical principles is worthless unless it is through faith. And look, we have this all over the place. We have it in our country. It's why it shows up when we're fixated on how our country, if our country is obeying God's law and we think that there's something about that, like non-believers obeying God's laws, if that's going to give us some kind of blessing. Like, first of all, it's impossible for people to obey God's law without faith. You're, you're heaping on people a burden that you yourselves cannot carry. Without the power of the Spirit, it is impossible to please God. Now, I understand that, that it's not worthless in a temporary s- sense, but we cannot legislate people into worshiping God and think that that is going to be pleasing to God. This is why so many people have huge obstacles to Jesus because all they have heard from most Christians is talk about the law. Morality, principles, God's way, and we don't talk about the way. That has to change. Because the gospel that we are proclaiming a lot of times to our country and to our non believing neighbors is a gospel of slavery to the law, not to being saved by a king. so that's why Paul says he's been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the life he lives. And we live by faith. And it's every step of the way, every interaction, every conversation, every Facebook post, not measured against a list of principles or a legal document that I can kind of manipulate to justify things I said or the heart that I said it with and never looking at the heart with which I said it or my desire in it, but face to face with Jesus, abiding in him, trusting in him. And if you don't know how to listen to him through the Holy Spirit and let us help you and I would encourage you read his word read his word to get to know him to see the one that is revealed in there not to not to like create your own principles and laws and figure out which way you're supposed to turn but to know him so that you can obey him listen to him while you are reading talk to him while you are reading Talk to him while you are listening to others teach the Bible. Listen for his voice when you are taking communion, while you are singing songs of worship, while you're taking out the garbage. Listen to him. And then as you hear from him, talk to brothers and sisters and say, I, I, I was reading this in, in Philippians 2. And it stirred in me, and I feel like God was saying this to me, but I I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm not sure where I am with this, but can you help me and have other brothers and sisters pray with you and read scripture with you? And you do all of that knowing that He has already fulfilled the law for you, He's forgiven us for our lack of faith. And so Paul is just pleading with them that faith in Christ is better, abiding in Jesus is better. Why would you do anything else? Why would you want to return to slavery? He says, you were loving each other. You were running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Look what he says. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. This is why you have to hear his voice. Do you know how many Bible teachers there are out there who are smarter than me? No, <laughs> a trick question. My answer is going to be a lot, but some of you were trying to think, what's bigger than a lot? I don't know, like, (laughs) what's the number? I I, I wasn't good at math in school. Like, this is a big one, all right? It's true. If you put me on this stage with a false Bible teacher who is smarter than me, more educated than me, a better debater than me, he will destroy me in the flesh. My only hope is is that as I say my weak, feeble words that are in the spirit, that the spirit in you will testify to that. Is, no, that's truth. And while someone who is a non-believer would go like, like, man, Joe destroyed Jay. He was like, this was not even close. And you're saying, oh, no. No, what he was saying was truth. Those are the words of God. That's why it's so critical. And he's saying, "Why you were running so well. Why would you return to these things? It's because they're persuasion. They were listening with fleshly ears. And he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. This is so dangerous. And then he goes on, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Exclamation point. He loves his children. He loves his brothers and sisters. And he will fight that they will know Jesus. And that's when he goes, in chapter 6, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Don't you wish you had the handwritten? Like you see... Like, look at these large letters I'm writing to you. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Remember that whole thing about what they have to gain? They're preaching this because it gives them status and protects them from persecution. Paul's saying, I've given up my status and I'm being persecuted. Who are you going to believe? And I can so relate to him. And he says, you're called to freedom. You're called to freedom, brothers, in verse 13 of chapter 5. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but love. through love serve one another. Listen to him. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That's what I want to finish with. I think if Paul was here today, what he would say to the evangelical church in our country today is he would say things on the shoulders of this, on the heels of this. You're more concerned with winning your petty arguments than loving your neighbor as yourself. You're more concerned with people voting the right way than loving your neighbor as yourself. You're more concerned with people having the right view on how to educate their children than loving your neighbor as yourself. In your fixation on the law, you disobey and dishonor God. But there is a better way. We have all these voices that will tell us that, that, that's the most important thing, that's the most important thing. Do not listen to them. They seem like they are standing for the truth, but they are not of Christ. Watch how much they mention Jesus. I mentioned this before, but you want to know a quick way how often do they mention Jesus? Because they often will see the way of Jesus as foolish and not powerful enough to deliver the kingdom, and that is foolishness and shame on them. We are to abide in Christ, in faith. It is freedom. We are sons and daughters and heirs, not slaves to the law. So live in that freedom Obey Him in faith. Listen to His voice. And trust Him. And let us see the miraculous things that He will do. Let's pray. Father God, forgive us, God. Forgive us for it. Like we forget our identity as sons and we act like slaves all the time. God, you see it in my life. Forgive me, Father, for trying to make up for the wrongs I've committed, for trying to just, to to live as though you are displeased with me all the time and just trying to do better and missing out on the glorious gift of grace and mercy and the joy and the freedom of obeying you because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. God, forgive us for not seeing you as our good father who delights in his children. And Lord, it is true, God, it it doesn't make sense to us. But you have said it is true that in Jesus Christ we are declared righteous because of the life he has lived. We get credited with that life as he took our sin and bore it on the cross and then he claims victory over sin and death that it no longer has a hold on us and that we are sealed with you holy spirit who dwells in us and cries out abba father and we are adopted as sons, firstborn sons, heirs to all that you have. Why would we ever return to yoke of slavery? Help us to live in faith. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to cherish the words you have spoken to us in the Bible. Let them point us back to you always. Let us receive all that you have for us with glad and generous hearts. Amen.